Hey everyone. Hey, um, it's really nice to be at church, um, but it's also really weird to speak um, into the camera. So if um, you find it a little bit weird, I'm sorry, I apologize in advance. Um, I'll try my best, okay, and hope you'll stay with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we commit to you um, today's message, and we pray, Lord, that we'll be able to hear from you, we'll be able to draw near to you, um, and know your heart. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will empower me to speak, but also open the ears of the people that are listening and the hearts of those that are receiving your word. May you speak to each and every one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. So how are you doing? I hope you are going well. Um, I hope you are doing well in the love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and that you are keeping warm. It's actually a little bit cold here. Um, so we're in this series called People Matter. The first week, we looked at all people matter, including unborn children. Last week, we looked at families matter, including those who are single, divorced, or have experienced other types of dysfunction in the family. Well, today, we come to a special topic, um, and we're going to talk about God's love for the poor. The poor, the disadvantaged, the needy, the marginalized in society, they matter to God. God loves them, God sees them, and He cares for them. When we open the Bible, there are literally a hundred plus verses that speak directly about the poor and the disadvantaged. They may include the widows, the fatherless, the foreigners, and the destitute. They are often forgotten by the world or even mistreated by the world. But God remembers them and God cares for them. Today, we're going to explore God's heart for the poor through a quick survey of the Bible. We're going to talk about God's self-designation. Then we're going to talk about how He shows His love for the poor through the law. What happens when God's people fail to take care of the poor. And lastly, we'll look at some passages in the New Testament. Who's ready? Ooh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Firstly, God's love for the poor can be seen in God's self-designation. People in our society generally want their names to be attached to the famous, the rich, and the powerful. We take pride in having our names associated with those that are successful in life. The friend of Bill Gates, for example. The friend of Obama. But God isn't like that. Our God, the strongest, most powerful being in the universe, He takes pride in being called the God of the poor. You know, sometimes in prayer meetings, right, we go around and we share attributes, um, like, you know, what attributes of God do you want to praise God for? Um, and some of the common ones might be like, I want to praise God for being the creator of the universe. Um, other ones might be like, I want to praise God for being forgiving and merciful. But when was the last time you heard someone say, Lord, I want to praise you because you are the God of the poor? But the truth is, God wants to be praised for being the God who loves the poor and as the God who defends their cause. God wants to assure the poor that He sees, He cares, and is on their side. 
Psalm 68, verse 5, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Deuteronomy chapter 10, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Psalm 146, verses 5 to 9. Blessed are those whose help is from is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Isaiah 41, verse 17. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. So you see, God loves to associate himself and his name with the poor. He announces to the world that they are under his protection. In Psalm 72, a prophetic psalm about the Messiah, we are told that the king will deliver and rescue the needy because their blood is precious in his sight. When the world says the survival of the fittest, God says their blood is precious in his sight. When the wicked say the poor are expendable, they're just tools to get wherever they want. God says their blood is precious in his sight. What about for us? Do we associate with the poor and needy? Is their blood precious in our sight? Let's continue. Because God loves the poor, he gave his people the law in the Old Testament. Um, When he gave them the law, he made special provisions in the law um, to teach his people how to take care of them. So the context is that the Israelites had just been freed from slavery um, in Egypt, and God um, enters into a covenant with them, and he, he tells them all these things that, that he wants them to keep as his commandments. And in there were some special provisions about how to take care of the poor and the needy. I think I was going to read these verses to you, but I think it might be easier if I just explain it to you. Um, but I think Janice will just flick through the verses as we go. Sorry, Janice. Um, but, you know, like, for example... God tells them that in the seventh year, they are to let the land lie unplowed and unused. So they're not to plow their land um, in the seventh year when they get into the promised land because um, God wants the poor to be able to get food from it so that the wild animals may eat. And they are to do the same with the vineyard and the olive grove. Or, for example, in Leviticus, we're told that, you know, the Israelites are told, Um, that they're not to go over their vineyard a second time. So when they pick their grapes, um, they can only go through the whole vineyard once. And they're actually to leave leave the edges um, as well. They're not to pick the edges um, because God wants the poor and the needy to be able to eat from them. In Deuteronomy 14, at the end of every three years, 
God tells the Israelites to bring in the tithes of that year's produce, like one-tenth, and to store it in the towns so that the Levites, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widows who live in the towns may come and eat and be satisfied. Can you imagine what kind of society that would look like if Israel actually kept God's law? It would have been a beautiful picture of God's generosity and care. I love reading the law. The law shows us what an awesome God we serve. Apart from the passages that I've read out, there were other things in the law, like cancelling the debts of people every seventh year, or in the year of Jubilee every 49th year, liberty would be proclaimed in the whole land of Israel. People who have been sold into slavery can return home, and those who sold their property because they were poor could get it back. The Jubilee is like a reset, and all of the Israelites are given a chance to restart their life afresh. You know, the Bible actually says if only Israel, like if only Israel would obey those laws, then there would be no need like to have the poor among them, as in like there would not be any poor among them. But unfortunately, even though God's law provided such a beautiful picture of love and care for the poor, Israelites did not understand God's heart at all. They did not love the poor, nor did they obey his righteous commandments. To the contrary, they greatly provoked God in the way they mistreated the disadvantaged among them. In Isaiah 58, God rebukes the Israelites. He tells them that he was very displeased with their religious activities and festivals. He was displeased with their fast. This is how God reasoned with them. Verse 1, shouted aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and they seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Continuing on in verse 6, Is not this the kind of fast I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? God wanted the Israelites to understand that he was not impressed with their religious festivities. What God desired from the Israelites is a righteous, compassionate life that serves and loves the needy. Yet, despite God's patience with them, and despite God sending them prophet after prophet to teach them his will, the Israelites were unmoved and unwilling to respond to God. They went on sinning 
against the poor. And eventually, this became one of the many reasons, but one of the major ones that God listed out for why the Israelites were sent into exile. In the book of Amos, chapter 2, God pronounced judgment against Israel. This is what he says, verse 6, For three sins of Israel, for even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Unless the Israelites were tempted to think that God was angry only with their acts of oppression. Some people might be like, well, you know, I didn't trample on any heads. Like, I was minding my own business. I didn't do anything. Well, that was also the problem. In Ezekiel chapter 16, 49, they were rebuked for their acts of omission and neglect. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. God loves the poor. He sees, he cares, and he defends them. He also tells his people to act, and he will hold his people accountable for both their oppression and neglect. Dear brothers and sisters, I wonder if God were to look upon our lives today and our church today, what would he say regarding our concern and care of the poor? Would he be pleased with us? Or would he find us to be arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned? When we turn to the New Testament, we find that God has not changed. He is still God of the poor. In the Gospels, we meet a Jesus who loved and cared for the needy, the lowly and the marginalized. He proclaimed the gospel to the poor. He healed the needy and the sick, raised the only son of the widow out of his compassion. He spoke judgment against religious leaders who defrauded the, the poor and taught parables in which the poor and the marginalized were the ones accepted by God and invited into his kingdom. Then he died on the cross for the poor. God loves the poor. In Acts chapter 10, when Peter was told by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel to a non-Jewish person for the very first time, officially anyway, for the very first time, do you know who it was? Write it in the chat if you know who it was. I'll give everyone like 20 seconds or 15 seconds. Any answers? Okay. It was Cornelius. When the angel appeared to him, this was what the angel said. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Cornelius was generous to the poor and God remembered it. God rewarded Cornelius by sending Peter to preach the good news of Jesus to him and his family. There's so much more I could say. Even in our devotions, the book of James, there are many passages talking about how as Christians we are to love and care for the poor. As said, there are over a hundred verses that speak directly on this issue. But what I wanted to do for us today is to begin the discussion for you, for us, 
to give us a glimpse into God's heart. God loves the poor. And like father, like son, or it should be like father, like son, if we truly love our father, then we would love what he loves. We would love who he loves. We would love the poor. As I was preparing for this sermon, I felt very rebuked. I was reminded yet again of how far I am from where God wants me to be. There were so many things I was learning for the very first time as I was preparing for this. And I hope that as a church, we could go on this journey together. We must, we must, both individually and collectively, as the Chapel Sydney and the Chapel Burwood, take on this privilege and also the responsibility of serving the poor, of loving them. But when it comes to loving and serving the poor or alleviating poverty, we need to take a step back and think, how do we do that? Because sometimes good intentions are not enough. Sometimes our intentions to help may actually cause harm. And this was something that I was learning for the very first time. The author of the book, When Helping Hurts, Dr. Brian Fickett, has a very helpful analogy. He asks, when you go to a doctor and you tell the doctor that, oh, I have a headache, what do you want the doctor to do? What if the doctor just gave you some Panadol and sent you away and he merely treated the symptoms rather than actually taking tests and the time to find out what the underlying issue was? What if the headache was caused by a brain tumor If the doctor had misdiagnosed your problem, then no matter how much the doctor loves you or has good intentions, it's going to result in harm. And that's the last thing we want to do. Generally in our society, when we think about poverty, I wonder what comes to your mind. Normally we think in material terms, the lack of income, the lack of housing, the lack of food or health care. But in this video, where someone actually walked around um, a marketplace in Rwanda and asked the people to define poverty, it came as a shock to me that only one out of 10 people in that marketplace defined poverty or even mentioned uh, material poverty. Nine out of 10 people talked about emotional consequences. They say things like, it's not having dignity or respect. My voice doesn't matter to anyone. I feel trapped. I feel useless. You see, brothers and sisters, we need to acknowledge that yes, when we think about the poor, often they are physical and material needs. But if that's the only thing we address, then we would have missed the needs of the other nine people in that market. Now, this is not something that we can just like cover um, in a matter of a few minutes. We can't address this issue in just a a few short um, paragraphs. But I hope what I could do for us today is to raise awareness. Perhaps you are more advanced than me in this journey, and I hope you can share your views with me and also your views with your life group. But for me, it was really important to be reminded that poverty isn't merely physical and material. I want to show you a diagram from the book. When sin came into the world, it affected everything. Because of sin, 
um, people have different, four different types of poverty. Okay? Um, the poverty of spiritual intimacy with God, because sin separated us from God. Um, the poverty of being, so basically um, you know, a lack of understanding of our true self um, or be able to see ourselves truly as who we are in God. Uh, the poverty of community, how others treat us and how we treat other people. Um, and our connection with them, and the poverty of stewardship. So that would be like things like work or our relationship with the rest of creation. Now, sin affected everything, and there are, you know, there's more than one type of poverty. Understanding this is important because it helps us to deal not just with the symptoms, but the underlying causes as well. It gives us perspective. What the diagram helped me to realize was that, number one, um, the number one need of every poor person, I want to say that again, the number one need of every poor person is actually the Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can truly repair and restore all four aspects of poverty. I wonder if you truly believe that, that more than anything else, the poor needs Jesus. Secondly, we need to understand that people can be materially rich, but spiritually and relationally poor. In the same way, people can be materially poor and yet spiritually rich. The truth is we are all poor in some sense because of sin. We all have some sort of lack. And this should help us to be humble it should give us humility. Listen to what God says to the church of Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 9. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Conversely, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, to the church in Laodicea, God says, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. When we think about serving others, we must understand and acknowledge that poverty also exists within us. Instead of thinking that it's a one-way thing, me helping you or us helping them, it's more like walking together as we move closer to God. To quote the book, poverty alleviation is about walking side by side, hand in hand, and saying, I'm broken, you're broken, but Jesus Christ can show up and bring healing to both of us. God loves the poor. God loves the materially poor, the relationally poor, and the spiritually poor. He loves the poor so much that he sent Jesus to us, the Jesus who became poor. Jesus had everything, but he emptied himself. He became poor so that the poor in this world can become rich. Dear friends, have you met this Jesus who became poor for you so that you can become rich in God? Jesus can satisfy Jesus loves you. 
Would you invite Jesus into your life and let him alleviate your poverty? Blessed are you if you are able to admit and acknowledge that you are poor and that you need God. If you are already following Jesus, then the question tonight is this. Do you know of people around you that are materially poor, relationally poor, or spiritually poor? Are you willing to love and serve them as Jesus has loved and served you? I want to pause here for a minute and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Is the Holy Spirit putting names or faces in your mind right now? If the Holy Spirit is reminding you of someone you could love and care for, someone you could serve, Maybe this is the time to take out your pen or your phone so that you can write down their names and you can pray for them later and you know, pray and ask God, what can I do to serve them? So I'm just going to give you a moment to do that. Now, I want to spend the next few minutes focusing on the materially poor. The Bible definitely has something to say on all types of poverty. But as I read through the verses, I cannot help but notice that there is an emphasis on the materially poor and the destitute. Those who are without the basic needs for survival, food, clean water, clothing, shelter, medication. And God calls us to respond. Be generous, lend a hand, and help alleviate their suffering. This is how the book puts it. While we are all poor in some sense, and we are all experiencing less than the fullness that God intended for us at creation, the materially poor face a daily struggle to survive that creates feelings of helplessness, anxiety, suffocation, shame, and desperation that are simply unparalleled in most of our lives. Dear brothers and sisters, have you responded to God's call? Will you respond? We need to hear this now more than ever. COVID-19 has changed our society. More and more people are going to lose their jobs, their houses, unable to pay bills, or even have enough money to eat. What will we as the church, as individuals, do about that? I think the kindness fund is a great start. But is there something more we can do to help? Is, this is the time for our church to remember God's love for those who are suffering. If you have ideas, like I said, I'm not that, you know, much more like advanced or far in the journey, right? I'm learning. I'm, new, I'm kind of new to this. And, you know, I say that to my shame, actually. So if you have ideas, I'd love for you to share them in the chat after the service or in your life group because we're in this together. Now, I want to go to some possible next steps for us. What are some possible practical next steps? Well, firstly, I'd like to encourage everyone to read more and do research so that we can become more informed. A good starting place might be to read the book When Helping Hurts or visit websites like Compassion Australia. Do you know our very own Shona has written many great articles um, which I'd encourage you all to read. For example, have you ever wondered, should you give money to beggars on the street? Well, Shona's got a piece on that. <laughs> what about poverty in Australia? Or how to take mission photos without hurting others? 
Go to the Compassion website and look up these articles and read them for gaining wisdom, perspective, and many good practical tips. I want you to also read and understand the difference between short-term relief and longer-term strategies like rehabilitation and development to help the materially poor. And there should be a diagram there. I can't go into that right now, but there's a difference. And if we really want to help them, we want to understand what that means. Thirdly, let's pray, pray for and donate to reputable organizations. And I want to say this, um, that, you know, organizations that both share the gospel of Jesus Christ and the people and providing the practical aid that people need. And lastly, pray that the Holy Spirit will guide you and teach you so that you'll be open-hearted and open-handed, ready to respond where the Spirit leads. Now, I want to invite Shona up to share some of her thoughts with us. Now, this is the special part of the talk. Surprise! Surprise! <laughs> Hello. Um, I think you might need to come in a come bit a more. Bit yeah. Okay. So, Shona, it's nice to see you. It's How nice are you to going? See you too. Virtual hugs. <laughs> Thank you for coming in today. Um, can you tell us a bit about your journey, discovering God's heart for the poor? Yeah, so my journey really started with an international mission trip as part of the church. Um, on any mission trip you go to, you feel all of the feels. You're encountering a different level of poverty, uh, a lot of material poverty that you're really hit with as you get there. Um, so for me, I encountered that sense of poverty. Um, but for me, what really broke me was a sense of injustice that the simple fact that just where you're born will determine your ability to access education, healthcare, the ability to dream, the ability to pray and go to church. That injustice was something that um, broke me. So coming back to Australia, I really sat with that, I wrestled with that heart and I turned to the word and all across Psalms, you'll see verses on repeat about God's heart for the poor. And, um, Pastor May has brought up a lot of those today. And just seeing that God loves these people, that God loves people that don't have the opportunity to be born in a country like Australia. Um, and just that made me fall so in love with God. It made me fall so in love with a God who wanted to be the God of the poor. Um, I then took that heart and I wanted to equip myself. So I did an undergrad in journalism and then I just completed my master's in human rights. Um, so I wanted to equip myself with what the world does well too. So I wanted to combine God's heart with some of the tools of the trade and then be able to um, position myself in a place where I could help in the long term. And so that's my journey. Uh, but one thing I really want to stress is that it's an ongoing journey. Um, so when Pastor May asked me to come and share, I think one thing I wanted to emphasize was it's not a one-time thing. You don't fall in love with God once. You fall in love with God daily. You don't fall in love with this heart once. I need to keep putting myself in a position where my heart is soft and being able to be broken for the poor again and again. And I think it's hard because, you know, working in a, for an organization, and I'm blessed to be in this position, to be working for an organization that um, serves the poor, but that doesn't mean that that's it. You know, it's a constant struggle. So, yeah, I think the journey still continues. Cool, thanks. Um, what about two things you've learned from the poor? Two incredible lessons. Uh, the first would be the poor have really taught me how to pray. Um, being in countries like Bangladesh, North Korea, Cambodia, and seeing um, how everyone prays for anything and every need that they have. 
it's not just something where they're like, hey, I'll pray for you. Oh, yeah, cool, I'll pray for your exam. But they'll be like, guys, let's gather and let's pray now. Let's pray for this next meal. Let's pray for this ministry. Let's pray for this lady who is, who's just lost um, her house. Let's pray. Um, and seeing people that willing to pray and trusting God for their every need was an incredible eye-opening experience. And that's something that I still want to continue to adopt. Um, the second lesson would be, and you know, Pastor may mentioned this before as well, but the second lesson would be dignity and respect is more important than what money can provide. Uh, in Bangladesh, we were going through a couple of home tours, and this lady was saying something in Bengali to us, and we were like, you know, what did she say? And she was like, oh, can you tell these visitors that I'm so sorry that I don't have chairs to seat them? And for us, we were like, whoa, like we're here to help you, but you're more interested in us being not being able to sit in your house. And I think that humility just uh, shifted a lot for me, and I realized that for these people, the ability to uh, be known and seen and have that sense of dignity and hope is more important than me just giving them a piece of my bread or a piece of um, what I have. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and lastly, like, um, can you tell us a little bit about the two, maybe just quickly, the two organizations that you've um, worked with or, yeah. and is working with? Mm -hmm. um, and how do we partner with the organizations that serve the poor? Mm -hmm. Uh, so our church is really closely involved with Compassion International. Um, I worked there for a short amount of time, and um, you can definitely support and partner children um, who are among the poorest in the world with Compassion International. So you, you can consider sponsoring a child. Um, the second way would be to pray for some of the leaders of these organizations. I think it's really uh hard to be a Christian organization or a Christ-inspired organization in a time and a world like this. So please pray for the leaders. And, I, and I'm very aware of how real these struggles and these challenges are. You know, there's constant meetings around, should we change the language of Christ? Should we change the language of how much we include Jesus? Um, so yeah, please pray for the CEO of different organizations, not just Compassion, not just Mission Australia, but a lot of different organizations that try and uphold Jesus. Um, the second thing would be to engage in conversations. So, um, you know, simple things like jump on social media, jump on Facebook and Instagram, um, really like get involved with the conversation around homelessness, around poverty. Um, and if you're willing, consider, like I said, sponsoring a child, but also giving, whether it's one-off or regularly with an organization like Mission Australia, small plug, that's where I work at the moment. So, um, yeah, you can definitely engage in a lot of different ways, financially, with your time, with your conversation as well. Thank you, Shona. I'm so glad to have you um, as part of our church and to teach us um, yeah, about more about God's heart for the poor. And she's just got so many practical tips and also just wisdom on this, on this issue. Um, so if you'd like to know more, you know, please you know, talk to her. Or oh, it's a bit difficult right now. But um, yeah, people in her life group, um, please you know, like talk to Shona as much as possible. And in the future, maybe we'll be able to do more like, I, I guess, um, short courses to help equip ourselves and our church to know how we could best approach this. Um, so now I want to really just want to invite you into a time of prayer. So would you um, bow your heads and, you know, begin by praying for the people that, you know, that God has placed on your heart. I mean, the very first thing we can do for them is to pray for them. And that's one of the best things we can do for them as well. So would you just begin um, praying for them? Um, and, and Steve is going to come back and lead us um, yeah, into just a short time of prayer. <laughs> 